to a point where I felt real shitty about myself and insecure because of like some interviews or you know people commenting or whatever and you're just like fuck <laughs> you're like what have I done <laughs> they're not looking towards uh, Mr. Slater for their cultural inspiration or what boardies to wear or what boards to buy they're looking at like Jack Robinsons those sorts of guys and girls Hello and welcome to The Drop. My name is Danny Johnson. The Drop is a weekly podcast that I do where I interview a collection of surfers and stabs writers. It's one of two podcasts that are currently on the Stab podcast feed. The other is Stabcast, which is Mikey Saramella and Stace Galbraith's somewhat a, a regular podcast where they, they focus primarily on the minutiae and the... All the madness that is the WSL World Tour. So, who do you like more? What what brought you here? Are you a cusp type of person, or do you prefer the the dependable, weekly, consistent, always on time, like a good friend there for you in? You know, hard times, good times, thick and thin, the drop interviews with your mate Daniel Johnson, or are, are you a cusp person? I know Mikey looks great with his shirt off and, and Stace is all big time now that he's, he's the WSL's post-heat interview master, but where are they when you need them? Where, when you get to the end of a big week and you need a little Pod dog in your life, uh, they're always off playing hard to get and they will let you down. So just remember who's here for you every week. It's uh, The Drop. This episode of The Drop, I chat with Creed McTaggart about surfboards, life, health, uh, a bit of self-hatred in there and music. And after that, I chatted to a new contributor to the Stab Premium web of content by the name of Mitch Shepard and his recent article where he crunched the numbers to determine the most influential surfers in the world today. So not just who we think are the most influential surfers based on our very fallible and and limited understandings of the world, but who actually is the most influential based on the data that we, we have available to us. He's done the deep dive on this and it might surprise you who, who's on the list. People like Donovan Frankenrider, for example. <laughs> now, he is not on the list, but it's a fascinating read. If you are a fan of The Drop, uh, if you do prefer it over Cusp, then you might have might you might remember a few episodes back when I interviewed a few loose units at the Mikey Wright film premiere that happened recently. Knew he loves the fucking party, mate. The film that was premiering that night, Da Rock, is now online. So you can find that link in the episode description of this episode. And it's definitely worth your time. It'll it'll completely change your perception on whereabouts you should place and how feasible grab rail cutbacks are. It turns out if you go fast enough, you can actually do them on any part of the wave at any time you like. 
At least that's what Mikey can do. Uh, plus, he's he's packing some Hawaiian bombs in this edit. Third reef, maybe even fourth. Italo was all over everyone's lips this week when he he came in from his heat with Connor Coffin and just focused his board after being knocked out of the Rip Curl Narrowband Classic. He stormed in the rock, locker room and just he he lost his shit. <laughs> And Connor gets the lead back on his last wave. A 5.8 on the buzzer. Connor's had so many heats like that. We'll send it down to Stace. Yeah, we're listening, boys. Silence is the best. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> Back and forth. He got it on the wave prior. You just wow. both rode the wave at the end. He went incomplete. You bet it up the top. Oh my god. That's got to feel good. Yeah, I'm kind of in shock. <laughs> uh, are we talking to those people out there? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, wow. What a heat. It was like such a weird heat. Idolo had like the biggest air section ever. I watched him piling up thing just going, uh, well, that's right at 10. And I must commend the WSL for showing this footage over and over uh, during the broadcast. I think previously they might have shied away from this type of drama, but they they actually led into it this time, which was which is beautiful to see. I was huddling around a phone with a bunch of people watching it over and over, and one of the most impressive things about it was the height he reached when he jumped up to snap his board. His feet were pretty much at, at head height. He's... He's like a gummy bear just bouncing around here and there and, and everywhere as the song goes. It was difficult to tell whether he was, he was angry at his own performance or he might have been angry at the judges who had just deemed one of his air reverses incomplete or he could have potentially been actually angry at his board, which is why he snapped it. One thing's for sure, though, he will definitely not miss that board. I, I got some intel on Italo that he brought 25 boards to Australia, 25 boards, a quarter of a century. He had Apparently he had five coffins packed to the brink and then it turns out the 25 wasn't even enough for him because he, after being here for not too long, he, he sent a request for... Some more boards, which are now on their way. So, I mean, I guess when you're defending a world title, baggage fees aren't really a consideration. And if you're wondering how Italo gets around with five coffins packed to the brink, I also found out that Italo has an assistant that's traveling with him that does absolutely everything for him. He, he doesn't really need to lift a finger other than surf. And doesn't that sound nice? Can you imagine that? job description Italo put out there though to find that assistant things like must be able to carry around a thousand boards at once which I mean as long as you've got a bit of strength that's not too hard but also must be able to peroxide hair must be able to apply hair extensions at short notice must be able to drink must be able to make copious amounts of coffee or actually it's Red Bull nowadays so what else that's about it they are all the go-to Italo jokes. Let's chat to Creed McTaggart. I caught up with Creed at his house in the Byron Bay region night before he was headed home to Margaret River in Western Australia for a few months. Creed heads home periodically. He goes back home to see his family and just to sample some of the psycho waves they have over there. We chatted a lot about music, 
because Stab recently released Rage 3, the surf movie that Creed, Noah Dean, Sean Manners, Ellis Erickson, Bo Foster, as well as Jake and Jaleesa Vincent all star in as well as they all recorded the the the, sound, the soundtrack um, to that film. The entire thing is made with music they put together and surfing's super impressive in this film but the soundtrack is actually pretty uh, pretty impressive as well. That is currently playing on stabmag.com for premium members. Creed has also just recorded a solo album and I played a little snippet from that in our chat. And we also talked about what he's been listening to lately as well as the time he, he got to meet and hang with Iggy Pop a few years back. Gummy bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. I that's on in your head when you... Because you had a life of, of basically just burning around, getting waves, and that's what mm. everything's been dedicated to. Yeah. What, what sort of headspace do you get in when you don't, when you don't get to do that? When you don't get to do it, I guess, I don't know. You, you kind of question yourself a little bit. You're like, what am I doing? Like, especially days where you sort of just don't do anything. Like, the waves are terrible and you're like, fuck, like, what do I do? But um, I was trying to do as much stuff. I made an album in that time. I made, like, or like 12 songs. And I'm just waiting for them to get mastered at the moment so, so this is this is a solo thing not not you mm. with the washi boys just yeah you i did like two songs with the washi boys or and with noah but um the rest is just yeah just kind of me at home all home recordings like in the bedroom with uh just a drum machine and a synth and i mean you know they just yeah they're pretty weird and crazy, but yeah, it was it was fun. I needed to have that life just seemed a little bit pointless for a little bit, you know. You like, needed like a, a project. Mm. Man, I can't wait to hear that. I loved that song you sent me ages ago. That pretty for what was it called? Pretty for pain. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. an album? No, that's not on there. You never no. did anything with that. I never did anything with that. Love that song. Mm. I have to dig that one up. But yeah, yeah there's a couple. I don't know. It's a weird mixture of shit because you know there's some weird kind of like. Electro-y kind of techno-ish kind of stuff, and then like some dirty kind of thrashy stuff, and and then there's like a, a Rocky Erickson cover. Yeah, I don't know, a bunch of different different shit. So it's going to be kind of a bit of a just mixture of craziness. It's funny you saying you started feeling like a little bit pointless because mm. it's, surfing's a weird job like that where it's all so subjective and how do you know, and I'm not even thinking about it from a job point of view, but even just, like it just kind of feels good to be productive and I've, I've been thinking yeah. about that a lot lately, like photographers or anyone who has a job where their work's like subjective or a surfer, like it, you might yeah. be doing the best surfing in your life or the worst or whatever, but like, there's no real way to put a value on it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know, like, you could look at... Especially now there's, like, no, like, real... Like, there's barely any magazines anymore and, like, it feels like the whole kind of 
the magic to surf films is kind of not as around as much anymore. Like I remember being a kid and being like just so excited from surf movies and them coming out and like just watching them and just being like, how the fuck did they do that? Like, you know, like it just seemed like magic. Or seeing a new way that you'd never seen before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like when, you know, the whole fucking virus hit or whatever and, um, and you know, companies freaked out, you know, your contract got like halved and you're just kind of like, whoa. And you're like, you still feel like you got the best surfing you can do is still coming, but then you're like, does it matter though? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a fucking heavy headspace because your yeah. contract gets sliced and then mm. you're just there, you can't actually do what you normally do, which is go yeah. and get busy and get waves and get clips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's a pretty weird, insecure, strange thing to constantly live in. Mm. You know what I mean? I imagine. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But um, it was good. Like, I, I did a lot of, like, kind of just working on myself because I definitely, like, found if I didn't have a routine, I would just kind of neg out and stay Did you get in. pretty dark at times? Yeah, well, I'd just kind of, like, stay in bed all day and, like, watch movies and shit and um, just, you know, couldn't be bothered doing anything. So I started, like getting it like a running out like sort of good routine and schedule each day kind of like just work on music for a bit in the morning and go surfing and you know I started seeing um Chris Prosser um he's like a chiropractor but he's kind of does everything he's a bit of a guru you know like help you with the the head shit as well yeah helped me heaps with my head shit and it's also like the first time that I've sort of really um sort of, yeah, cared about my body in my life. So it was kind of cool, kind of, yeah, doing a little bit of stuff to help help my body be the best it can be because, you know, I'm not spring chicken as much anymore, you know, so... It's you can't kinda, just, like, bounce back from... Yeah, anything, huh? I just like... get shitty backs and, like, knee and, like, I don't know, yeah, just... Uh, yeah, I just realised that, you know, as you get older, it, it all kind of stops working as good so you gotta you know you gotta keep busy and sort of to maintain that uh that 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 sense of uh i don't know like vitality or something yeah vitality or just being yeah like that comfy place where you're like i know i can go out there and just go surf and i'm gonna perform and and then i was just going for surfs and my fucking knee was hurting and i fucking could barely stand up because my back was scorched and i'm yeah. just like shit man what's happening mate? i'm just fucking weathering away but um but no nah, yeah it was good it was good now i kind of feel i feel good i've been wanting to go back to west for you know 18 months or whatever and i'm finally about to do that so that's that's a good feeling for me you know go see the family and and um, and surf some good waves and stuff. You know that sounds sounds pretty good. Yeah, that does sound good. I remember when when I first met you. I remember you being like so <clears throat> super open, and it was so mm. refreshing because you were just you were down to do anything and 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 talk about anything. And when you when you're used to interviewing people, you don't get a lot from it. It was just like, oh, that's fucking crazy best. And then <laughs> and then I remember like a few years after that, you, you were on the cover of Stab, and then like What Youth, and you were kind of like went. Mm. You kind of, your profile like just went 
bananas and there was a pocky films coming out all the time and then I, I remember noticing that you kind of like went in your shell a little bit like I yeah feel, i feel like you kind of like was suddenly this creed that i met that was just like so open to everything just yeah. realized like how public your life had become and you kind of like went real insular and now yeah. you're back to being the same creed yeah. I met. what happened back then well there was like a few like interviews that like i did that i was probably like real drunk and you know was just open and kind of said some things that I thought I don't know like anyone could have read it and it could have been interpreted in so many different ways and then I was just like that just kind of freaked me out I never really thought of that before because I just thought that like you know I would never try to make someone you know be perceived as someone else and I and you know I was kind of expecting that from other people and then yeah I don't know I just got some comments and stuff and I heard some things and I was just like it kind of just freaked me out and I was just like shit like that's not who I am like if anyone knows me I'm not Mm. that person who's in that interview you know that's like that was either it was just like a bit of a laugh or it was just when you're talking about it like verbally verbally you can pick up so much more but when it's just written down on paper it's just like well it could you could read that in so many different ways and yeah. be like this guy's just a little spoiled cunt you know or yeah. like this guy's just fucking and that's annoying you when know? you do an interview with someone you you give so much trust to them as to what yeah. they use how they edit it what they chop out what they keep in yeah. and that goes for film projects and everything like and mm. and i feel like there's a reason that Dane doesn't just lend himself to any project. He's like super careful about mm. who he partners with because you've got to put so much. People can cook you, and not that they intentionally always do. They think they just, yeah, they're, they're just doing their job, trying to be entertaining, or think that they. But yeah. you can. It requires so much trust to mm. like to give over so much. I don't know info, and then trust that they're not going to misrepresent you or. Yeah, and I think I think like a lot of it was like I was young and. And fucking my dream was coming true and I was just so pumped to do everything. And so yeah. I just, and a lot of people, I guess, kind of got this, like, like this idea that I'm like some crazy party guy, like who's just a maniac or like, but that's like definitely not me as a person. There might have been me at like some party or at some, you know, one night or whatever, but like that's who they take who I am all the time and it's like I'm definitely not that person like I'm a really quiet chill kind of pretty shy person and you know like living with Toby who's like he was like the complete opposite you know he's a massive personality who kind of you know he walks into the room and claims the room you know everyone is drawn to him like that and um and I'm it was cool living with him and realizing that I was like trying to be that kind of person, but I, I, I'm not that person. And it's like, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm way quieter and like, I'm not, I don't walk into the room and light it up, you know? I'm like, I walk in the room and stand in the shadow and like, <laughs> you know, talk a little bit of shit like on the side. But I think, yeah, I was just trying to be someone that I wasn't um, as I was kind of getting some attention from fucking magazines or whatever you know because mm. on one hand it's like your dreams coming true but on the other hand it's like you're just like serving yourself up on a platter to be judged and people yeah. are brutal so it's a i guess it's pretty scary scary yeah. thought yeah and like when you're that age you're like 
if anyone hips you up with a trip or an interview or whatever or some video piece, you're just like, yes, 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 yes. And, and then you kind of like actually, you don't need to do all that, you know, especially because, you know, I don't know, when I, was that, when I was that age, I was just pretty drunk all the time, you know. <laughs> like I was just drinking heaps and like, you know, I was not really, I didn't really have like a base to live. I was kind of just darting around the world and just sort of living each day as it sort of came and just traveling heaps. And Was there any like one moment when you were just like that fully made you recoil or anything you heard or was there like... Yeah, there was like this one uh, came out, I don't know, it was probably like five years ago, maybe even longer. But I remember like reading it and just being like, what the hell? That, that does not sound like me at all. And... And it was like a big kind of piece on me and I was just like, damn, that's not, that's not me. Like, like in my mind as a kid, like I grew up watching like Baker 3 like every day and like thinking that that was the sickest dudes. I was just getting hammered and, yep. and you know, partying and, and I just really wanted to, like that was so appealing to me at the time. And, um, and yeah, I just like realised that you know, I got to a point where I felt real shitty about myself and so um, insecure because of like, you know, I guess some some interviews or, you know, some shit and then like, you know, people commenting or whatever and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> you're like, what have I done? <laughs> that ain't me. But, um, but yeah, like, it's bizarre. I think like, I needed to do that though, like to realize that and realize that, you know, I just really want to do the best surfing I can do and show it to the world. And that's all it is really. Like, I know I'm not like the best surfer in the world, but I just want to try to be the best, you know, me I can be, you know, so that's, yeah, I guess that's all it was really. Yeah, it was funny. Really. When I spoke to Chun the other day, he made me realize like, cause you, you won the Aussie titles when you were under 16, is that right? Under 18s? Under 16s? Uh, under 18s. I think. Under 18s, Aussie title. And then, so everyone around your um, immediate sort of world of Margaret River mm. was just like, oh, tour guy, you know, like going for world titles, like that's your destiny or whatever. Yeah. It was like, he seemed he was like going to go on tour. World you know? tour, yeah. yeah. And um, everyone was writing him off, and I was like, oh, that's, if, if it works out, that's fucking way better than competing. Like, fucking Fuck, I didn't realize that the pressure that Creed would have been copping from the hometown yeah, around going, yeah. being a free surfer. It was the gossip between the, all the parents and shit. Really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, you know, people would, like, like expect me to be like, yeah, that's a dumb idea to, to, to like, you know, catch it, go along with it, you know? But yeah. I'd always, in my head, I was like, fuck yeah, Credo, like, that's sick. <laughs> like, he, what, he just moved to Bali, he's hanging in Changu, surfing, like, having a hell time. And then it must have taken, and I didn't realize the, the amount of pressure until Chuni, like, he said, like, oh no, there was like, everyone was like talking about it, and it was this huge deal around mm. Market River that you, you bailed from that. Like, it would have yeah. taken some pretty huge balls to not go down that path. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think I, I don't know, I just, I didn't see myself going on the tour. I did like a few pro juniors and QSs and I was just like, I don't know, I, I just don't feel like I really shine here. I feel, 
I, I, I just wasn't lo loving surfing and I remember just watching surf movies and just being like, I just want to go surf good waves and, and make videos. And, and I, every like sort of eccentric person or like character that I met, I, I was just more drawn to them and being like, wow, just more fascinated and you know, what they do, whether they be like a musician or, mm. you know, skaters or like some surfers, like meeting Aussie Wright was like a huge thing for me. Like we did that Nishido trip. I think I was like 19 or something or 20. And, and I remember just being like, I can't believe I'm on a trip with Aussie Wright. This is the craziest shit ever. And, and he was just like the, like the best person, you know, he was exactly what I thought he was going to be, you know. He was just the nicest, most interesting, colourful, fun, caring, cool guy. That was, um, and there was just like no ego around and no bullshit. Because it was like, you know, you do all these comps when you're younger and there's just so much ego. And I only did them when I was younger and this kind of trips me out still. was like how much importance I put on, like, those comps when I was like... Fucking, Results and stuff. Yeah, like when I was like... 16, 17 years old, and you're like, fuck, man, like, life ha hasn't even started yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And all that shit does not matter, you know? Like, everyone forgets that shit, you know, pretty much. Like, and it's, and it's, I don't know, for me anyway, I didn't think it was that special, like, winning the Australian title or whatever, or winning any comps. I was just like, it's just like what you kind of have to do, because, you know, there wasn't many young free surfers at the time. And, yeah. And then when What Youth started and Kai was doing that, that kind of just like, just opened up that door. To that was like you saw the pathway when you Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Can you tell me the story though of talking about the amount of pressure and the importance of people putting on comps. When you were in that contest and like before the final, weren't you talking to like Danny Green, who's like, you know, one of Australia's best boxers and at the time would have been at his peak of fame. Like he was yeah. just like a national yeah. hero. And weren't you like talk, talking to him before the Yeah. My dad's always been into uh, fighting, uh, like boxing and, you know, fucking like UFC and shit. And um, so I did like a bit of boxing when I was younger and the guy who I did it with was really good mates with Danny Green and he would come down and we would have like, you know, little fucking boxing, you know, sessions together and he was a real keen surfer too. And, and yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, I was just like a little competitive machine. But I think that also was just like me being younger and, and like, you know, I love my dad so much and I just really wanted to impress him. And, yeah. And that's, you know, he used to play AFL football. He was a real competitive guy. And, you know, I just wanted to be, you know, make him happy. And, and all those trips that I did with my dad are, like, some of the best memories I have with him, you know, which is great. All those, like, comps that we went on. Because he came to, like, every comp and, like, coached me. And, and yeah, it was very serious. It was yeah. very serious and it was like, yeah, like fucking talking to Danny Green and shit before you go out to a final, like getting revved up by Danny Green. <laughs> so he was, he was there just... Yeah, was just, just like, just yeah, it was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's how cool my dad is. Like, he, he really, um, you know, really kind of, he, he was just always there for me, like when I was doing the comps and stuff. And then when I told him, I don't want to do the comps anymore. And he was just like, well, what do you do then? Like, I don't understand. Like, yeah. 
you quit school when you're like 15 and like, it's not like, like are you just gonna get a trade or something? And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just gonna, I just wanna do free surfing. And he was like, okay, cool. And he was like, what do you need to do? And I was like, I think I gotta go live in Bali and in, in, stay in Indo for a while and just do trips out of there. And he was like, okay, go do that. And he was real supportive of that too, you know, even though he had no idea really what, what I was doing. He was just, he was like, yeah, just fucking, Go fire it up. Go do what you need to do. That's good. You recently went from being sponsored by Hayden to then completely mixing up yeah. what you ride and then also the type of boards. Like what, what happened there? Because you were on Hayden for years and then what made, yeah. you, what made you split from, from that camp? Um, I don't know. I was, I was always like, I love Hayden. He's a good dude and he, he looked after me really well and and I actually saw him the other day in Newcastle when we caught up. I hadn't seen him in like years and it was good to see him. But um, I don't know, I just, I don't know. I, I just really wanted to get uh, better at sort of rail surfing, I guess. And, and I kind of didn't think my rail game was that good. So I was like, fuck. And I was watching heaps of Oki films, like documentary and, just watching him on these old 90s kind of pintail boards and I was like, I need to get on those. Like, I'll just try it, you know, like maybe it won't work for me, but... And then I talked about it for like ages and I finally hit up Rod Dahlberg and, and then, um, and he was super down to shape some boards and, and yeah, it was funny, like as soon as I started riding those boards, it just kind of... I felt like my surfing clicked a little bit more for me. Like I was just like, oh, this feels, yeah, it just feels more natural. And yeah, it just allowed me to surf the way I wanted to, to surf. Yeah, know? when there was, when those clips that first started floating around of you surfing those big right wedges on those yeah. boards, it was like, it, it impressed a lot of people. Like a lot of people were talking about it. And people that, you know, I remember Ronnie Blakey going like, oh, you, you just, you couldn't believe your surfing on those boards. A guy who, pays more attention to the WSL, you know, mm. but he, it still caught his eye and he was, he was, he was freaked out. It seemed to, what sort of things were you, were you feeling suddenly on, on those like knifey, uh... I've got real skinny legs <laughs> and, um, I always had this problem where like, I hated it about my surfing is that I would take off and get like a good tube and like, for me, like I really wanted to just like, take off, get a really good tube and come out and just do a huge carve. And every time I would do that, I would come out and I would be halfway through the carve and just slide out like crazy and just eat shit. And I was just like, fuck. And then I remember like riding this Dahlberg and, and that was like the first feeling I had. Like I got a tube and I was hooking, coming out of it and then I could just lay into it as much as I could. And it just had my back and it was just like, and it just, and it just felt really nice and it didn't feel contrived. It didn't feel like I nursed it. It just felt really um, like in my mind how it was meant to be. You know? What is it, just a longer rail? Or? Yeah, it's so many things. It's the rail, it's a lot of the rail, like how much volume's in the rail compared to how much is in the center of the board. And then also like rods, rounded pintails are like, you know, the best ever, you know, they just, like, I started, like, when I first started getting boards off him, I got him a, a couple of square tails and stuff, and, and then I just, it was just, I realised that the, 
the rounded pintail is just his thing. And then, um, yeah, it just kind of suited, I guess, my surfing and then, I don't know. Yeah, he makes really good boards and yeah, he's been doing he's, it for like 50 years. He's, so he's like, an incredible designer. You can't just like simplify yeah. what he does. Huh? And he's a scientist. Like he's, he's fucking very passionate about surfboards and everything that goes into it. Like when you talk to him, he's like, there's so much history and knowledge that he's telling you that you're just like, you know, you feel very, very lucky that he's just opening up and telling you this shit because it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it, it opens your mind and, and all those times where you're like doubting yourself and you're like, fuck, I'm just some fucking player, I can't do this. And then, and then you talk to him and he shapes his board and he's like, it'll go like this and, I, and try these fins. And, and yeah, it was just kind of like a time where, I, yeah, it all kind of felt like it clicked. And it, it was just a lot easier, you know. Yeah. And that's taken off, and off like um, Hayden's boards. Like when I was riding Hayden's boards, I had some amazing surfs on them, and 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 definitely like at that time where it was more about you know everyone was just trying to do the biggest air and shit. Like that, those boards were the the best for that. Mm. And um, and then I just didn't. You know, I wasn't having fun trying to do that all the time, and it's kind yeah. of yeah. In Stab in the Dark, Taj talked about because he swapped shapers, I think, three or four times throughout his career, and he talked about just the fresh start it gives you working with someone new. Yeah, it's yeah. Not even, it's not even, it's nothing to do with the boards that you're on. Yeah, being bad, but you get something, you get mm. a bit of new energy when you're when you're surfing. Yeah, on someone else's boards. Can you still can you still do as many airs? on on Dabog's, Dabog's boards? I mean, I guess, yeah, for sure. Like, I've, I've done a couple wears that they felt great on, um, but I guess I don't I don't focus on that as much anymore. Like, yeah. I would take off on a wave and, you know, I don't hunt air wind all the time now, you know. I'm more keen to go get up early and try get some offshore and <laughs> some clean faces. Get those skinny legs on the face. <laughs> yeah, get these little chicken legs on the face and... Try to do a little cutback. <laughs> Are you still? I remember ages ago you said because there's a new Apocky movie coming out, mm. and I spoke to Kyle the other day and he said that it's going to come out by the end of the year. Yeah. You originally were going to have a whole part that was just turns. Is that still the plan? Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, the whole part is pretty much just cutbacks. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we shot like a bunch. Uh, last year for about six months and then you know the waves kind of went to shit and couldn't travel how do you choose where to put clips because you've got mm. multiple sponsors that put out edits constantly you've got you know you've got billabong you're making yeah. movies with billabong you do globe films with mm. joe g you do a pocky films you guys make rage movies yeah how do you and then, you know, earlier we did the thing with Stab with um, Tobes and, and yeah. Coopers. Yeah. Like, so there's so many little, so many people keen for clips. Like, how do you, how yeah. do you satisfy it's the kind of, Yeah, I don't know. You kind of, you got to, you get your priorities right. You got to be like, oh, Does that man. get tricky? Kind of, especially when you don't, you know, like, I'm not the most consistent surfer in the world, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I keep my clips pretty precious, you know, like if I've got something good, I'll be like, I want to save this for something good. And what yep. I mean by that, I guess, is working with Joe G is like, to me, he's like, him and Kai, like the, the best surf filmmakers. And, mm. and I just wanted to kind of shine in their films, I guess. Um, and then also like with Rage, 
you know, being our, our little baby, wanted to get as much good shit in that as well. And then Coopers get the B shit. And like <laughs> 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 no, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny, I don't know. Sometimes you, you know, have a really good month and you get heaps of good shit and you're like, fuck, I'm sweet, you know, like I can divvy this out. And then sometimes you don't, you know, you haven't been able to get clips for a while and you're kind of, it's a bit slim pickings and you're like, shit, <laughs> fuck. Can I start digging up some clips, like, you know, like... But I always feel like if I've got clips on the hard drive, I'm a better person. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. a constant pressure in your life? Yeah, for sure. Like, if I don't have clips, I'm, like, I'm just a little bit, like, frustrated and, like, not hard to be around, but just, like, a little bit fucking of a little bitch, you know? You're just kind of egging because like, you're not, not as comfortable. Yeah, I just want to be, relax. Like, yeah, like, if I know I've got some good shit, it's, like, it's almost like, you know, gold prospecting or something. Like, if you've got some <laughs> nuggets, you're fucking, you're psyched. You're like, yeah, i got some, I got some precious shit in the yeah. fucking, in the hard drive, like it's good. I guess that's the bittersweet thing about putting something out, because yeah. once it's out and all those clips are tossed and you've mm. got to start from scratch. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, with, with I guess, free surfing is just filming as much as you can, you know, like, it, yeah. and it was hard, you know, like with COVID and shit, not many people really wanted to shoot because um, the waves are kind of shitty all the time, so. You know, some, and then sometimes it'd be good and you can't find anyone to shoot because, you know, it was like that thing happened where it didn't seem as important anymore, you know? Like, it, you know, it was like, ah, whatever. Like, what are you going to do if I can make a surf movie? <laughs> <laughs> what well, like, do you mean because the world was burning down? Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. Like, there's so much other crazy shit going on in the world and you're right. just worried about getting a fucking clip. You yeah, know? It's yeah, like, that's shut true. up, cunt, you know? Yeah, it comes and goes, and ho I don't know, hopefully hopefully kids still psych on, you know, they're still pumped on surf movies. and Oh, man, they definitely are. And, you know, the, the whole thing, because, like, I love the tour too, you know, like, I love watching, like, most of my friends that I grew up surfing with are on the tour now, and, yeah. you know, I watch them, like, rip it up, and I'm psyched for them. Um, yeah, that's a funny thought to me, because you grew up doing all the comms, and you used to go and stay at Kolohe's house. Yeah, yeah. And you and Kolohe couldn't be more different in yeah. terms of, like, the paths you took. But it's just it's just funny to, to me to yeah. picture you and Kolohe hanging out as youngsters, and then even... Oh, man, and the Wrights, like, you know, did heaps of trips with Tyler Wright and Owen and, and Mikey, and, uh, yeah, like, in a lot of ways we're different but in heaps of ways we're the same you know like we just love surfing and we want to surf the best we can possibly surf yep. the only difference is like you know they do it in front of judges and i do it judging myself you know <laughs> <laughs> mm. that's pretty good you get to give yourself a couple of decent scores oh man and i'm the worst judge i yeah. hate my surfing but um but you know, that's how you're gonna, you know, I don't know, that's, that's what makes you get better, is picking your little imperfections and your shit you do wrong apart and being like, all right, how am I gonna, how am I gonna get better and, you know, be more confident in my surfing and, and you know, at the end of the day, myself. Yeah. And you, you know, one of those things was, I gotta try some different boards. And, yeah. You know. Do you know that comedian, Bill Burr? Comedian, yeah. Nah. Bill Burr. Oh, he's a he's an American guy, and he's he's right up there. He'd be one of the 
most successful and he talks about like because they do lots of stand-up sets and i listen to their shit back yeah and they assess it yeah and he said that and then they know what works and what doesn't and they keep like working on the shit that they the way they make people laugh and he said that when he finds a comedian that loves listening to themselves back yeah and isn't like critical of themselves and it's always a bad comedian yeah you know, it's always a hack yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. like, if you were watching yourself surfing and just loving it, mm. then uh, you probably wouldn't be a good surfer. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that too. It's like I remember doing trips with um, with Rasta, and he never liked watching you surfing. Like, he and he he would like literally just walk out of the room as soon as the clips come up. He was like, oh, "I'm fucking," really? and he would just bail. Really? Yeah, and he's like, "I hate watching my shit," and I was like. That's so that's so weird. But like I, I, I kind of like really appreciate that in a way too. Yeah, I remember because like he surfs so beautifully. Oh, you know, like he might be one of the best surfers in the world. Like still, yeah, like, yeah. He's so underrated for how mm. perfectly he approaches every wave. He always draws the perfect lines. Yeah, rarely falls off, and it's so. And where he puts his hands and mm. the way he moves his feet so slightly, but so like, like it's just all like you know. I guess he's just really really naturally just talented and, and I, um, I remember talking to him about once like about, about his surfing and he goes oh yeah my my one turn and he, I, I go what do you mean and he goes I've got one turn I've just got one forehand <laughs> I'm like no you don't like you and it's just to him but he was just so critical like, he just yeah didn't, he didn't yeah he wasn't he wasn't feeling himself at all but yeah I guess like um I guess he just does whatever feels right and what feels right to him looks really good, you know? So sometimes what I do that feels right, I watch a clip and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with your hands? And, you know, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so I don't know. In that way, I guess, I, you know, I'm pretty critical and I watch myself surf <laughs> so much. I just want to be, I don't know, perfect in, 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 in my little brain, you know? So what have you been listening to lately? Give me some... Um, I've been listening to... Uh, Give me some songs. All right. I've been listening to uh, Salem quite a bit. This one song, It's Not Much of a Life. It's not, it's not of a life. I don't know too much about them. But they put out an album like 10 years ago and then um, hadn't put anything out until last year. They're cool because they, um, I don't know, they're just a different kind of sound. It's like, I've never really listened to rap much, but they got that sort of trap thing going. Hello. G'day. And, um, and yeah, I think they're, yeah, they're just, they're, there's a documentary on them um, and I haven't seen it, but... You watch a shitload of music docos, huh? Yeah, I love them. But, um, but yeah, that song's um, amazing. Um, I've also been listening to heaps of Steve Albini's stuff when he was younger. The Big Black, his band So Steve called. Albini is a famous producer. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the bands he's produced? I think he did, like, one of Nirvana's he records. Did in, in Utero, I think. Yeah, and then um, maybe the Pixies. Yeah, he's, he's did... Maybe YouTube, some Sonic Youth shit. I don't know. Um, give me a give me a song that you've been you've been loving. Uh, a song. Well, I've I've really been loving this one 
song called, what's it called? Passing Complexion. It's just like a fucking nightmare of a sound that you kind of, I've listened to it a million times and I still don't understand how he came up with it. I've he's a sound wizard, he's a recording wizard. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, but like it's drum machine and synth and he has this crazy tone on the guitar and bass where it sounds like scratchy metal or like, yeah, it's just fucking the gnarliest sound, but this song, Passing Complexion, I'm just, just, yeah, the only, I can just, I just, it's almost like it was a mistake and then he just kept playing that mistake over and over. But it's amazing, I fucking love it. Um, he's, yeah, obviously a bit of a wizard with, you know, mixing and, and recording. So he, he made some crazy tunes back in the like, early 90s and stuff. I've also been listening to this hardcore band called Bib, B-I-B. I've got this song called Freedom that I've been listening to quite a bit. They're just kind of like a, yeah, like a hardcore-ish band, um, you know, kind of have those, you know, slow kind of breakdowns and shit and a lot of minor chords. And they, uh, he has like this, he fucks with his vocals heaps. His vocals are like, uh, just echoed out to the max and kind of distorted and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's, an, it's, a, it's a cool sound. You don't really understand what he says in any of his songs, but it's, it's like, a, it's like his, you know, another instrument, instrument in, the, in the piece. Tricky to do live. Yeah, but he has, yeah, I don't know. I've he watched, has a live setup. He has a live setup. He must yeah. put like some pedal or he's got something worked out. And it's funny, yeah, I always thought he was like this big sort of, in my mind, I thought he was like this big, like scary, like white dude with like face tats or something. <laughs> but then I like watch him play live on YouTube and he's like this skinny little. Uh, like Japanese guy. Oh, or really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, he like wears tie-dye t-shirts and shit. And you like, he looks like a hippie, but <laughs> he makes like this really fucking yeah gnarly gut-wrenching tunes. You know what? I often it's easy to just forget because it was it was kind of everywhere for a little while. But you fully met and hung out with and played with Iggy Pop. Does that ever freak you out? If you think about the the pantheon of music legends, he might yeah. be up there in, in the top. He might be the number one, depending on who you are. And mm. you, like, through that campaign with Billabong, like, you got to hang out with him. Like, that's, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, that was really crazy. Like, I was daydreaming or something. Same thing with kind of, like, meeting Ozzy. Like, <laughs> Ozzy Wright and Iggy Pop were, like, my idols growing up.
he was like exactly how I thought he would be. Like he was just super modest, very relaxed, very intelligent. Some of the words he was saying, I didn't know what they meant. <laughs> oh, really? He had some big words. He uses his vocab's pretty huge, yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, he he's cool because he he loves like anything that or anyone who's just doing their thing and they're passionate about it. And um, like he hadn't really. I think he said he tried surfing once, but he's got like a one leg's shorter than the other. So he like, that's why he walks around with that limp. Cause like one egg, leg looks like three inches shorter. It's noticeably shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. He has like a platform on one side. And huh. Yeah. And, um, but he was like, yeah, I hang out with, I hang out with some surfers once, man. They're all these like, uh, you know, wild guys, you know, little fucking crazy dudes. And, uh, and uh, like, I don't know, uh, it just seemed so foreign to him. And he, he was, we were watching, he's like, I watched some of your surf videos last night. And he's like, man, how do you do that? How do you do that? When you take, you, and you disappear and then you're back and you're like, <laughs> And I was like, oh man, I don't know, like, this is so surreal. That's one of my favourite things is hearing non-surfers describe surfing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And what about that story when you, uh, you met, you were doing that photo shoot and there was a guy host, oh, yeah. hosting the house. The Raza, yeah. The, Can you um, tell that story? Yeah, sure. Like, we were, I was in LA for a bit um, and there was talk of, like, Billabong doing this rumors of doing this collab with Iggy and I just never thought it was ever going to happen um, and then all of a sudden they just called me up and they're like hey we're doing it we're doing a shoot tomorrow in Malibu and we rented out this house um, like on the beach there um, and yeah you've got to come tomorrow morning and I was like holy shit so I went there and we got there super early and they were setting up this house um, for a few hours and uh, I was sitting there and then all of a sudden this guy just walks in and he was the guy who, I guess, owned the house. But I don't know, he, he might have not owned the house. It might have been his dad that owned the house. Because I think his dad was like really rich yeah. Indian guy who it was like, I somehow thought he was like, I think his, dad's, his dad was like a prince or some shit. Like, yeah. I don't know. I. I don't really understand half the shit this guy said to me. His name was the Raza, or his name was Raza. And he came in and he's like wearing this leather jacket and these board shorts and he had like these two strippers around him and he just looked like he'd just been on a fucking huge bender and he was still going. And he was just sweaty and like, he had like sort of like longish hair, kind of like slash, but had, it was all like receipt, it was all f like falling out and shit. It was like looking pretty washed up. He looked so washed, like <laughs> fucking so washed up. And um, he was just so funny, man. He was just like, yeah, I'm, an, I'm a musician as well, man. Yeah, I, uh, I'm like Jim Morrison, India, man. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Oh, you know, we play to millions of people and, um, uh, you know, I got singing lessons of David Bowie. I'm really good friends. I was really good friends with David and, uh, and yeah, this and that. And I'm like, oh yeah. And as he's like talking to me, he's like got this massive bottle of 
liquor and it's like in the shape of like an AK-47, like, <laughs> <laughs> like a gun. And he's just swigging out of the bottle and it's huge and these, these big busty chicks are just like, kind of just fucking real wasted and just kind of like barely like can stand up. And I was like, whoa, this is fucking crazy. And anyway, the guys were like, oh, we can't have this guy around, like, when Iggy comes. And uh, they were like, we need to, like, get him out of here because he would just ruin the whole shit. And so one of the dudes um, took Raza down to, like, their little beach house, like, down the driveway a bit. And then Iggy came and we did the shoot and that went for, like, a few hours and then he left. And then I was sitting there and everyone was like, you know, packing up the shoot or whatever. So I went down, I was like kind of bored, so I went down to the little beach house. I was like, See what's, what yeah, up what's the Razza doing? And so, um, yeah, he was just there like, you know, just blasting cocaine and fucking, <laughs> and just chicks just going crazy and they were just popping it and fucking, yeah, he was just telling me all these crazy stories that I don't even know if they're true or not, but if they're not true, it was really creative and amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like really walking that line of whether it's true or not, yeah. you couldn't tell. He was saying that he was on the phone to the Vatican. He was like, I'm on the phone to the Vatican all the time, man. I'm like, what are you, why? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, he was making this documentary about uh, religion and, and like his music was like really like religious or something. Right. I can't really remember, but he's just, I just remember him saying, I'm on the phone to the Vatican all the time, man. And then he, like, there's, like, this big, like, knight, like, knight's armour. Like, he was, like, standing there with all this metal knight's armour and he, someone, like, spray-painted it and he's like, that, that's worth, like, 50 grand. <laughs> and I'm, like, looking at this fuck's armour, like, this fucking medieval shit and then someone just tagged it all up and shit. I was like, really? And he had like one of those walls that were all furry and shit. And he's like, yeah. And anyway, he's like, what are you up to tomorrow, man? I really like you, Creed. I really like you. Let's hang out, man. Let's go out in LA. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got, I got no plans. He's like, well, oh, shit. I got, a, I got lunch with Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, so he was like an A-grade bullshit muncher. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, you probably can't come to that. But after that, we should get dressed up and go out in L.A. And I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds mental. Like, let's do that. And then, um, and then yeah, I just, like, bailed after that. Didn't he, didn't he, like, piss himself up? Oh, dude, yeah, he pissed himself. He was fucking talking to me. And there's just fucking cocaine all around his nose. And I was like, oh my God, you're fucking such an animal. And I was just chilling there, completely dead sober, like not doing anything. He was just like, I was just watching him and his show and what he was doing. And he was telling me about some bullshit, probably talking about the Vatican again. <laughs> and he's like, all of a sudden he starts pissing himself. Like we're sitting down at this table and he's just, just piss starts trickling down his leg and I was like well what the fuck and he fully had no idea that he was doing it and the other like people didn't know either and then all of a sudden he's like oh 
shit, I gotta go to the toilet. <laughs> I was like, no way. Holy fucking shit. It's, just, it's so funny, like, the, the cliche of the rock star is... Yeah. And, 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 like, Iggy Pop shows up, and he's completely sober. And he's completely nicest, normal. Nicest guy ever, yeah. super smart. Yeah. And then there's, like, a wannabe rock yeah. star that's just down, just train wreck, pissing himself. Yeah. Just lying. It's, yeah, it's, dead straight lying, but fuck, man, it was funny. It was <laughs> such a fucking trip out. Like, I felt like... I don't know, like, I was like, that is a lot of what LA is, though, and, and Malibu and shit. A like, lot of bullshit, there's man. just a lot of bullshit there, you know, yeah. like, people just talking shit. Like, oh, you know, I fucking, I'll take you to the stars, man. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, let's go. And there's no stars, man. They're all just fucking a bunch of lunatics. A bunch of lunatics. A bunch of lunatics. Thank you, Creed. Next up, we have Mitch Shepard. Mitch's article was titled, Who are the most influential surfers in the world right now? A pragmatic examination of a subjective topic. The point of your research was to determine who the most influential surfers are today. So, but firstly, how did you define influential? Yeah, it's, again, it's such a, that's a really difficult question to answer. And um, I was, you know, mucking around the computer for ages trying to come up with a, uh, something that would work. Um, what I kept coming back to with influence was two things, um, reach and engagement. So I can be the most persuasive person on earth, but if I don't have access to you, then I, it's, I can't influence you. It's, it's that simple. Um, so like was, Donald Trump getting kicked off Twitter, he suddenly sort of disappears yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like if you don't have the access, then everything else falls apart. Um, so what I kept coming back to was reach and engagement, reach and engagement. So there were also things which were measurable um, so yeah, what is influence? It is being able to reach people, it's having access to people and then being able to engage people. You came up with a criteria, everything from CT rankings, yep. Instagram followers, stab surf of the year votes, age and Google trends. Yeah. And they all pretty much make sense to most people. Except for maybe Google Trends. Can you explain what they are to anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, it's um, so Google Trends is just a tool that anyone can use uh, online. Um, it's effectively measuring, you can plug in whatever you want, any word, any search term you like, whether it's your name. I was using surfers' names. Um, and then it just sort of tracks and you sort of plug in your, your time period and it just sort of tracks how they have been uh, how they've been used on Google over that period of time. So I did 12 months. Um, and how did you factor age in? Because that's a, that's a funny one. We obviously got Kelly, who's the anomaly, who's a million years old, and then everyone else <laughs> probably hovers in a similar bracket. Yeah. Um, as I sort of alluded to in the um, piece, he sort of forced my hand here. Um, and I've already noticed online, a few people have been making some comments about, you know, what the hell has age got to do with this? You ageist. Yes, I said that. I actually wrote about that. Um, it matters because uh, with any sort of, we're talking surf culture, we're talking surf cultural change. Change, not always, but tends to come from youth, um, whether it's surf culture, whether it's culture in general, whether it's society, um, it's young people who were, 
who are driving it and um, it's just the natural progression of life, right? Um, things change, youth are the drivers of that. So um, with our youth today, with all these young surfers, surf girls and surf boys um, cruising around, I think, and I think it's reasonable to sort of assume that they're not looking towards uh, Mr. Slater for their, you know, um, cultural inspiration or what boardies to wear or what boards to buy, whatever. They're looking at, you know, they're looking at like Jack Robinsons, um, those sorts of guys and girls. So I thought the younger crew, I gave them a bit more weighting and all the sort of stats just because I thought uh, they would be uh, driving influence uh, more so amongst our young and the young drive change. So a bit of a roundabout answer, but yeah, that's why I sort of, yeah, that's why I did what I did. It makes sense because despite yeah. Kelly Slater's fame, he's definitely less relevant to a generation that didn't see him grow up. He's more of a, yeah. despite his, the fact that he's still very relevant and active, uh, he's not, they didn't grow up with the influence of Kelly and it's almost yeah. like Michael Jordan to the younger generation until they saw Last Dance, they might totally. not have really understood his significance. Absolutely, totally. Um, and and so much of a part of it uh, when I was writing this and people who are reading it and, and thinking about it is you've got to try to get out of so outside of your own head, outside of your own perspective, whether it's, you know, whether it's the perspective of, from your age, whether it's your perspective as a, a committed um, surfer or someone who just surfs, you know, from time to time. We're all coming to... Uh, the question of surf culture from our own little um, prism, tiny little prism. Uh, and I kept sort of trying to step back from that. Uh, and yeah, like Slater's, he's more relevant to me than he is to kids growing up. I mean, that's just fact. On this topic, Dane Reynolds didn't make the top 20 and yet he anecdotally is one of the most influential surfers within the core surf community. And his opinion and creative projects appear to have huge ripples throughout surfing. So, and he didn't make the list. He didn't make the top yeah, twenty. So, what do you, what do you make of that? I thought of Dane when I <clears throat> when I sort of come up with that that qualifying list, which I sort of wrote about. Um, I, I, I noticed that he wasn't on it. Um, look, first and foremost, I'd say he just he didn't meet the criteria. Right, he's not on CT anymore, so he's out there. Uh, his social media following isn't particularly strong. Um, and I, I, look, I'm just thinking, I don't even think he got many votes in the stab poll. I mean, I'm, I'm, I could say that he didn't even get one. I, didn't, I don't remember his name showing up in, yeah. in a single top five. So when I was, I had to think about this and like, A, yeah, he didn't qualify. So I have to set criteria and I had to sort of make decisions. So that, but then I was thinking more broadly about Dane. I just, I think he's... I love Dane. I think he's amazing. Um, but I think he is extremely influential to uh, a, a, a segment of the surfing population and it is decreasing. I think he's becoming less visible. I think his presence is declining. Um, and as I said before, yeah, to a, to a, a part of, of surfing culture, he's godlike, he's worshipped. But I think to an expanding part of um, the surfing population, he's becoming he's becoming less sort of relevant. And let's be honest, if you're not, if you're sort of a surfer who doesn't really follow surf media or, you know, sort of surfs on the weekend and maybe watches a bit of it on the news, six o'clock, you don't know who Dane Reynolds is. 
Yeah, and I guess it comes back to what you were saying. This is this list isn't about how we feel about a surfer. It's it's about how the particular algorithm and all the metrics that you compiled. You know what it yeah. says objectively versus how we feel about a yeah. surfer. Yeah, and broadly, and think of it as think of it from again what I've sort of said this before, but from a macro point of view, right? So not just how. Um, not just surfing within our little sort of surfing bubble, but sort of span out and yeah. for people who aren't in that bubble, um, you know, is Dane Reynolds influencing those people? Do they even know who he is? Do they, I mean, probably not. Mm. And if people want to see the whole list, they can visit the story on the website. But can you please just read out the top five most influential surfers, male and female, that your algorithm spat out? We've got Medina, number one. Um, Italo, Kelly Slater, John John and Julian. So there's the top five for the guys. The sort of the only real thing I'd say about that is if you look at um, second place Italo down to fifth place Julian and if you check the story online, you'll be able to see all the, the little unique ratings that have been assigned to each of them. But uh, Medina's uh, quite a significant way ahead of the other four in that top five group. Um so maybe that's surprising to some people. Maybe it's not, but um, it is what it is. Yeah, Medina's meteoric. God, that's a cliche. Uh, how <laughs> else do you? How else do you? His rise to yeah. fame or the level of fame that he has, particularly in Brazil, is yeah, is is quite, it's not really fathomable for us yeah. in 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 Australia and probably not even for Americans. Yeah. There was something happening in Brazilian culture. There was Art and Senna had yeah. passed on and, the, and Brazil was really looking for a new hero. Yeah. yeah right around yeah. the time that Medina came through and won his first world title, first Brazilian to ever win a world title. Yeah. And I don't doubt that he would be super famous just given the nature of his personality and, yeah. and, and, and his success based on... Um, you know, how much Brazilians love surfing. Yeah. But the timing of everything just seemed to skyrocket here yeah. to a new stratosphere of fame. And yeah. I think a huge a huge part of his numbers, the amount of followers he has, yeah. has been the spill on effects from the, the opportunities he got from from the timing of winning that world title. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great story. Um, we, most of us probably already know it. Um, uh, in terms of like, in terms of the sort of ratings that this piece put together, um, yeah, like social media, he's sort of killing it. Um, CT wise, he's killing it, and he killed it in the surfer poll. There's no real surprise that he's sitting where he is at number one in the um, in that list. Um, but yeah, but more broadly, as you sort of were talking about, um, yeah, he's really tapped into something, um, and not just in Brazil, but worldwide. And I think he's, I think that sort of stereotype that maybe existed about him that sort of unlikable i think that's rapidly changing um and i actually uh, never met gabriel um but i watched him on a stab uh it was a video you guys put together with um mick mick fanning and sam was having a chat to medina and he's a really bloody likable guy um yeah um and yeah that, that'll certainly have an effect. Yeah, Mick Fanning Unplugs featuring Gabriel Medina. That's actually on this same podcast feed if That's anyone right, is yes. interested in checking it out. And I'll also put I'll put a link to it in the show description and also I'll put a link to this article where people can read the entire list of the 20 most influential surfers, male and female. And you've only just read the male, huh? Uh, Did you read the female just then? The what? Did you read the female? 
Oh no, I didn't. Okay, yeah, so let, yeah, sorry. Yeah, let's uh, that's, let's um, read terrible. <laughs> Sexist, terrible. Um, so look, Steph, number one again by a pretty nice margin. Uh, Carissa Moore to Coco Ho come in at three, which was kind of cool. Caroline Marks four, and Bethany Hamilton. So number five. So we all remember Bethany probably for the wrong reasons. Um, with, uh, with the unfortunate accident that she sort of went through years ago. But I think we, were, we, we probably more remember her for the right reasons in the fact that she still rips yeah. dis- despite that injury. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- there's, I was surprised to see her that high. Um, but, yeah, she's, she's, I mean, she's still surfing uh, yeah. really, really well. Um, but, yeah, she's really staying um, very, very relevant. Mm. Um, well, she's a Christian and she, she has her movie and other things that have made her really a really big icon in the Christian community, which yeah, is right. such a huge portion of the American population. Yeah. And then even internationally, I think yeah. if you were able to, I don't know, Christian rock bands, for example, yeah. That, yeah. that are in that space that yeah. we've never heard of. Yeah. Are huge. They're like bigger totally. than and, and more yeah. successful than it's 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 its own industry within yeah. the world that quite if you're not a Christian and you're not paying attention to that culture, you just have no idea about. It. But I know yeah. that a big part of her, well, I don't know uh, the exact way to put a, uh, any metrics on it, but I, I I assume that the influence she has in the Christian community is 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 helping her in this list. Yeah, that's okay. That's I didn't know that uh, about Bethany, but yeah, like I mean. It's an unusual pairing, right? Surfing and religion. Um, speaking very generally, there inspirational stories and religion and, yeah. and conflating the two yeah. uh, like go hand in hand so well. So yeah. I think that's where, why she's. Yeah, I think that's why she's being able to have the the yeah. significance. Why it works? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No. Great. Okay. <laughs> I think that's. I mean. Yeah, I don't know for sure. But. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I hear you. Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, that's, yeah, it seems like a very untapped sort of uh, segment of the population, right? Yeah, it's not a bad angle, even yeah, if you're faking it. Just trying yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how they rationalise why yeah. they let God take her arm in the first place. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how they do the maths on, the Christian maths on, yeah, how on does that inspiration, but, yeah. you know, I think they. I think everything ends in God works in mysterious ways. Right. So that's a, it's a great answer, isn't it? Oh, you can just, get your way out of yeah, any situation yeah. with that pretty easily, actually. <laughs> so who's well, this list alone. most relevant to? When you crunch the numbers and when you when you've come up to this, is it is it is it us, the the surf audience, trying to get an objective view of what's going on? Is it the brands? Is it the surfers themselves? Like who does it make? Who is it most relevant to? Um, yeah, I had a. Th- think about that as well. <clears throat> I, I think in surfing, we do a, a really good job of being caught up in our own little surfing bubble, in our little surfing world. Um, so to answer your question directly, um, I think it's relevant to our industry. And if you're like flowing on from that, our brands and even our surfers, this, people will disagree with this list and that's completely fine. Um, I'm not talking about this list isn't a list of people who influence surfers. It is influencing a, a bigger thing than that. It's, it's influencing a bigger it's, – it's impacting people who don't belong to surfing or surf culture. So I think this is – it's a good 
it's a good way to look at um, things like marketing, for example, marketing influence outside of surfing. Um, these are sort of the people that I think are reaching beyond our surfing bubble. You know, institutions or surfing bodies like the WSL or our brands, like I just mentioned. You know, these are the these are the people who are reaching beyond the boundaries. Um, and you know, for a again an institution like the WSL, who's forever trying to push surfing further and further onto the the masses. Um, you know, these sorts of names are the ones that are seemingly doing the job. So yeah, yeah. I, it was interesting to see Julian Wilson in the top five because I've always known that he's such a huge force in terms of his fame, but yeah. to see the metrics being crunched and that he's up there in the top five and he's also without a major clothing sponsor having lost yeah. early yeah. last year. So it'd be interesting to see where he goes. I'm sure there's people yeah. making offers yeah. and yeah. He, hasn't, he hasn't bitten yet, but there's still a lot, maybe a lot. I mean, fifth on this, le- on this list is a lot higher than his world tour ranking right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where he goes sponsorship-wise. What surprised you about the order that the names fell in? Uh, it, what didn't surprise me was the the CT heaviness of the list, which, you know, that was just the product of the criteria that I put together, right? Um, as a CT surfer, you have, um, you have big reach, thanks mainly to the WSL. Um, what I what I what I liked was seeing names like Coco Ho, third for women, um, Bethany Hamilton five for women. In the guys, you'll see some names like Mason Ho, like Jamie O'Brien, like Kai Lenny. Um, are they? Do they surprise me? They don't surprise me. Um, but it was good. I mean, these guys don't these guys don't compete on the CT, and yet they were still. Um, they're still sort of working their way into a pretty decent um, ranking on these lists. So um, just a bit of an eye-opener, really, um, that, uh, yeah, uh, CT surfers aren't the only ones that are making waves in our sport or lifestyle or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they still are very relevant, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And at the end of your article, you single out Gabby and Steph. How do you consider them influencing surf culture or what made you uh, want to bring their names up at the very end? Yeah. Uh, influence is a funny thing where it doesn't have to be this um, purposeful, proactive um, sort of thing that people are doing with intent. Like you don't have to try to influence people by something that you're doing. Influence is also about what you don't do. Um, now, um, Steph and to a slightly lesser degree, uh, Medina, they're, they've got a pretty glossy, squeaky clean image, which a lot of surfers these days tend to have, which is also a sort of, you know, a byproduct of the WSL. Um, I, I can't say, I mean, the actual surfing aside, I mean, they're both fantastic. I'm not even going to go into that. That's obvious. But um, their influence on culture, I, I can't see it being much more than sort of pushing surfing further towards that space where we, as a, as a, as a sport, we seem to be headed, propelled by the WSL. Are, are you saying they have a very digestible uh, perception in terms of their personal brand and it's almost like 
by being that middle of the road, they go a lot further than someone who is a bit more pointy and, and yeah. I mean, whether 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 they go further, I, I don't know. I mean, what I would have loved to see in this list is plugging in someone like Andy Irons. Like that would have been fascinating to see how he, you know, in this day and age, you know, um, things like social media and stuff, where he would have fell within all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and Andy would have, you know, compared to say Gabriel and um, Steph, I would imagine he would be pushing uh, surf culture in, you know, different directions to people like um, Steph and Gabriel. Um, yeah, they are, I, I don't want to say I don't want to say bland or vanilla, although I just did. Um, but um, and, I, and again, I love Medina, I love Steph; they're amazing. Um, but you know, they're just sort of they're, they're they're saying the right things, they're doing the right things, they're sort of playing the, the WSL game, and and um, I think that's what they will that's what they will contribute. Yeah, it's always the flawed characters that we love the most, especially when we're reflecting on history. Yeah. Like someone like a Sunny Garcia who had. He had that anger, or yeah. Andy. You had his demons, and it's always yes. those. It's always those flawed characters that we really it, miss or, or or crave. Yeah, and relate to right. Yeah. Like um, absolutely, and um, and yeah. If we had sort of someone at the top of this list, or you know, world champion who was out, you know, being I don't know, dropping sex tapes online, or being busted <laughs> with drugs, or being pulled over drink driving. Um, you know, these guys who have a lot of or go, guys or girls um, who have a lot of eyes on them being watched by surfers and non-surfers, well, that would sort of, you know, that would sort of influence how people think about surfing and surf culture. So, um, yeah, Medina and Steph, I think we'll just sort of see more of what we've already seen. Yep. Uh, that's pretty much it. Was there anything you wanted to touch on that we didn't? No, that's about it. Um, just um, agree or disagree, go for your life. Um, it was an experimental study. I didn't have like thousands of dollars and research assistance, um, but I think it does a pretty good job. 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 Thanks, Mitch. That is all we have time for this week. Please rate and review this podcast on Spotify or iTunes. And if you do take the time to do that, then please email a screenshot of the review to me as we are handing out Stab Premium memberships to the best reviews. You can find me via my email, danny at stabmag.com. Thank you and good night. It was funny, like, for a while after that, like, I used to just, like, I'd be at the bar or something with Noah and, um, and I would just call him, like call up the Raza because I had his number. And I was like, what are you up to, man? No way. <laughs> and he was just like, hey, who's this? And I'm like, it's me, Creed. And he's like, who? And I'm like, Creed. And he's like, oh, oh, Creed. Oh, surfer guy. Yeah, how are you, man? Yeah. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm just at the, at the, at the Bangalore pub having a beer. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm recording a record with Slash at the moment. I got to go. I got to go. I'm like, okay, okay, see ya. Just always with a hectic life. Yeah, yeah, yeah.